Mark Drake is on a mission to train leaders around the world about the miracle and mystery of Christ living his life in and through all who will believe. Join us on this journey into the heart of the real new covenant and the transforming power of true grace. Good morning, everybody. Um, I'll go ahead and open your Bibles if you would. We're going to be talking about Ephesians 4. However, I would like you first to turn to Philippians chapter 4, if you would, please. Trust you have your own Bible. Uh, if you do not, we're going to project some of these. Uh, there'll be one lengthy passage we'll not project. So if you have your Bibles, or as Josh said before, your digital versions on your phone like we do, uh, then go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to continue on in what Josh has been doing so eloquently and so thoroughly, and that is teaching through the book of Ephesians. Now, uh, because Linda and I, as a, uh, an outreach of, your, uh, of this spiritual family, we've been traveling the last several weeks, uh, doing meetings with leaders and that sort of thing. But the beauty of uh, technology is that we get to hear on the podcast every message and every teaching that's done here on Sundays, we get to hear them. So we've been able to enjoy Josh's teaching through the book of Ephesians even though we've been gone. If you don't get the podcast, it's free. So, you know, let every head be bowed and every eye closed. Right now, you could choose to make a decision to enjoy the podcast and to recommend to other people that they do that. But as we go through the book of Ephesians, uh, part of my teaching role is to keep reminding you of things such as being able to read the Bible and understand it should not be difficult. Uh, sadly, some of us preachers and teachers make it seem difficult, but it shouldn't be. doesn't mean you're going to understand everything. Nobody does. But to be able to read through and get what we need as prompted by the Holy Spirit and for what makes a good foundation in our lives, we need to learn to read the Bible. It is literature, and by that I don't mean uh, to demean it. It is literature, and the God has chosen to communicate through the written word is one of the primary forms, not the only, but primary form. And every other form of communication, we balance it with the word or we judge it or evaluate it with the written word. But in understanding what the written word means, we're always dealing with this issue of context, context, context. You cannot just pull a Bible verse out of the Bible and hope to understand what that verse is referring to. We wouldn't do that with other literature. We wouldn't just, you know, pick out one line from Shakespeare and then act like we know everything that's in the play. We, we wouldn't. And there's much of Shakespeare that wouldn't make any sense to us because the context was, you know, the 15, 1600s uh, in England in those areas. So when we read things in the Bible, we have to keep that in mind. And there seems to be, especially among us charismatics, there seems to be certain Bible verses that get repeated over and over and over again and over again and over again and over again. And before too long, we begin to think about a particular Bible verse totally different than the context should actually lead us to believe. For example, how many have ever heard one of us charismatic believers say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? How many have heard that statement? Yeah. Well, how many know that's not true? Actually, there's a context. There is a context. And if we understand the context, 
then we can apply the word correctly. If we do not understand the context, we will misapply the passage. Then when it doesn't work the way we thought it should or hoped it would, we either get mad at God because he's not being true to his word, or more often than not, we condemn ourselves and say, well, we just don't have enough faith. It might be a third option, and that is that I have misunderstood the context and I'm trying to make it into something that it's not. So let me give you an example of what we're talking about. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, uh, starting with verse 10. Uh, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. How grateful I am and how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. Paul's writing from prison, by the way. And they had just sent him an offering. I know you have always been concerned for me, but for a while you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need. Now listen to these words. Context, for I have learned how to get along happily, whether I have much or little. By the way, as you listen to this, think of maybe some of the preachers and teachers that you've heard that teach that if you come to Jesus, he will make you wealthy. That the gospel means that you should have lots of money. You know, turn on Christian television and there's a, an embarrassing number of Christian shows, not all, thank God but still an embarrassing number, that teach the idea that Jesus was made poor so we could be rich and that somehow that Bible verse means natural riches. Of course, if you look around, you'll know that that's not true, except for those few who preach and teach that. Because the offerings go to them. Now, Listen to the Apostle Paul. I know how to live on almost nothing, verse 12, or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, or with plenty or little. For I can do everything with the help of Christ who gives me the strength I need. See, the context specifically is Paul is talking about Various seasons in our life that God leads us through. Some of the seasons of our life that God leads us through are tight, dry, or barren places. And all the confessing of Scripture in the world will not make it flourish. If God is deliberately, because He loves you, leading you through a time of stripping you down so that He can impart to you more of His life and less of yours, doesn't matter how much we confess, I can do all things, I can do it. The only thing I can do is that which is God's will for me. And so Paul lays out the fact that as an apostle, one of the leading apostles, certainly for us today, wrote most of the New Testament or the overwhelming majority of it. Yet Paul said, what I can do, because I understand all things work together for my good, I can live with very little or I can live with a great abundance. It does not change me either way. I don't get mad at God if there's little. I don't get greedy if there's a lot. Thank you. I've got one here and one all the way in the back who amens me, and I appreciate it very much. Thank you very much. All right. Okay, let every head be bowed. We're done. Let's, all right. Just, because I don't want to screw this up now since I've already gotten good preaching. But see, context is everything. Here's what you and I can do. What God is leading us into. Whatever season of our life God is leading us into, we can do it. Because His strength 
will be our supply. That's what grace is all about. But he will not grace me to do something he hasn't called me to do. He will not equip me to do something he hasn't called me to do. So so we have to understand this. Now, we want to take this a step further in our study of the book of Ephesians. Josh ended last week with talking about the very verses that he read today about Paul's praying. Uh, I would that you'd be able to comprehend how high, how deep, how wide, how long. Oh, I love those words. I mean, just when you say those words, I get goosey bumps. You know, it's just, oh, man, the love of God, an un, unending ocean, his love. But now if we keep on reading, that's chapter 3 of the book of Ephesians. If we keep on reading, then we learn a little bit more about the working of grace. So uh, open your Bibles to Ephesians 4. We do not have this on the screen, so you'll need to look in your own Bible. As we go through, you may want to underline a couple of words here or there. I'm reading from the New International Version at this time. Verse 1, as a prisoner for the Lord, and he was literally a prisoner at this time. He was writing from prison in Rome. As a prisoner for the Lord, I then urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. If we believe that the grace of God is the power of Jesus living in us, empowering us from within, so as he lives through us, we can live more and more and more in righteous ways of behavior then we understand exactly what Paul is saying. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. He's not saying in your own strength. He's already been teaching about the grace of God to the people in in Ephesus, and they know that. So he knows what that means. It's like a doctor uh, prescribing antibiotics to you, and as he sends you home, he says, now listen, you get well. He is not saying grunt and groan, and by your own effort, you get well. That's not what he's saying. We know that. But take the medicine, right time, right amount. So Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Wow. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Oh, my gosh. I have seen so many church splits, and I've seen almost not a single time where it was really something that was worthy to split over but it's just hurt feelings, people upset. And yet Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. For one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Man, you talk about the new covenant grace of God's life in us, moving through us. This is Paul saying it right here. Here's what God does. He's over all, he's working through all, and in all. He's talking about us. He's calling God Father, so he's talking about God's sons and daughters. Verse 7. Now listen to this. You may want to underline this, because this is the key point right here. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, and it, by the way, is David in Psalm 68, 18, is where this quote is being made from by Paul. When he ascended on high, Jesus, he led captives in his train, uh, Old Testament people probably, and gave gifts to men. And then he describes this. He says, what does, quote, he ascended mean, except he also descended to the lower earthly regions. Paul is combating this idea of Gnosticism and that, but saying that Jesus literally came in human form, And now he has ascended back to the Father. Verse 11, 
It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. That word service is diakonos, means table waiter. It's also translated many, many times in English uh, translations as ministry. The work of ministry or the work of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity of the fullness and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. For from him... The whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Um, Sarah, I'm sorry, would you put the title uh, uh, page up again, please? This is what I want to share with you a little bit on today. Why God deliberately limits the work of grace in each one of us. God deliberately limits the way in which grace, Christ's life, his attributes, his character, work through me. He deliberately limits that in certain ways for me. He deliberately does that for you in different ways than he does for me. Now you say, wait a minute, Mark, you're really confusing me now. Here, as long as we've known you've been teaching about grace as Christ in you. Yes. The grace of God that brings the life of Christ into our lives is freely given to any and all who will believe. And we share the DNA of God or the life of God together. And that's, and that's exactly appropriate. However, the working of grace, which is Christ himself coming into us by his spirit and working through us, the way in which the work of grace works through us is different depending on what the head decides. Now, this is what Paul says. Paul says Jesus came, lived in a body, suffered and died, buried, rose, met with his men, appeared to over 500 people over a 40-day span of time, and then ascended back into heaven with his physical body, which has now been made immortal. So his spirit and his body are united. That's what you and I are going to be for eternity we're not going to be disembodied spirits for eternity. We are going to serve God in our bodies. We will recognize each other. They recognize Jesus. However, we will become the perfect us. We'll be perfect in every way. What Adam and Eve would have been if they'd never sinned. You say, well, how will we be? I don't know. The perfect age. Seriously, you'll be the perfect age. But Paul says when Jesus went back to heaven... Though while he was on the earth, he had a physical body. Christ in resurrection has his physical body, seated by the right hand of the Father. His spirit has come to live in us. And one of the primary things now is that Jesus, who had a body on the earth, still has a body on the earth. But now he's the head. And we and all those who believe around the world make up the members of his body. Now, what the head of this body does is he takes 
miraculous abilities and characteristics, and he divides those up among the members of his body. That's what the head is doing. He decides how you should be gifted in both your personality and in your ability to let the life of God flow through you to others. We all share in the resurrection of life of Jesus. That is grace, sharing in the resurrection life of Jesus. But God limits the way that grace flows through us to impact and affect other people around about us. So do we have that... Uh, uh, okay, why does God deliberately limit us? Now, can we go to the other one that you reminded me that I missed before? Uh, slide three, I believe. All right, why would God limit us? Why? <laughs> well, the answer is right there, folks. I mean, come on, it's not tough. Well, you better be glad the projector's working, or the answer wouldn't be out there, see? And I wouldn't be able to remember it, so that's why I wrote it down. All right, why? when the head ascended back to the right hand of the Father, he then begins to distribute both his power, his ministry abilities, all that sort of thing, into the whole body. So in our body, God, though we all have access to resurrection life, we all can't do everything. Listen, don't be naive enough to think if you hear somebody say, you know what, if you just have enough faith, whatever Abraham did, you can do. No, you can't. Because that was the will of God for him. Now, you can enjoy the life of God the way he did even better because he didn't have the life of God literally in his human body. But if you have just enough faith, then you can do what Paul did. No, you can't. Only Paul could do what Paul did because God uniquely calls and gifts us as he wants us to be. But the analogy that he gives us is all about this learning to depend on each other. So the analogy uh, that he uses is this idea of giftings. Giftings. Now, I want you to make note that in our English translations, the word charist is translated, depending on where you find it, by two different English words. Over a hundred times, charis is translated grace. And by the way, do we have the, uh, yes, there we go, Strong's Concordance definition. Charis, the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. See, that is what they meant when they said grace. The divine life of Jesus coming into your life, influencing you and reflecting in and out. That's why we keep nagging at this idea of new covenant life is Christ works in us and through us, in and through, in and through. Now, it is the through part that we're focusing on right now. We're gone to teach us that we are never going to succeed at this alone. God limits the way His grace will flow through us. Now, what the Holy Spirit does is He inspired the, the Apostle Paul and then the other apostles also to use the analogy or the metaphor of the human body. Now listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we do have this on a slide for time's sake. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read rapidly because there's a lot of ground to cover, but you just follow along. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 4, 5. 
There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now, to each one, to each one, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, let me stop right there and say, there are times when God will give Josh a supernatural faith to believe for something that I'm struggling with. Why would he do that? So that I never think I can make it alone. Well, why is it bad to think you can make it alone? Well, if we would just take my index finger and decide that it could make it alone, it would still be a finger, but it would be a really icky, icky, icky finger. As a Greek word, there's long meaning. I don't have it on the slide, but... You know, my finger is important. I mean, I can't work my, you know, my iPhone. I can't make notes, you know, while I'm listening to Josh teach. And, you know, I can't, it's important. But its importance depends on its relationship to the rest of the body. And I am grateful that every member of my body is not a finger. I'm really grateful about that. I'm really grateful that some parts of my body are actually feet and legs so the finger can get places because my finger would get bored so easily. But with feet and legs. But so Paul is, is struggling to try to help us understand how desperately we need each other and why God has deliberately limited the working of his grace. Now, not in divine life. All right. Not in divine life. You and I drink deeply. We drink together. The Spirit of God is living in us. That's all equal, great, and, you know, we, we, we grow in that. The mystery of Christ is that He's being formed inside of us. That's a mysterious way of looking at it. But there's no other way because it is a real mystery how God can live in people. But the living through us is where the head divides up giftings and says, okay, I, I, I am dividing to you the ability to be uh, an ear so you can hear for the rest of the body or at least parts of the body at times. But, you know, when I used to teach on this and my children, our children were little, this is where they start giggling. And I found out later because the moment I said this, they looked at each other and said, <laughs> we know what dad is. He's a mouse. Uh, So Paul goes on trying to help us understand, verse 11, all these are the one and self-same spirit. He gives them to each one just as he determines. He, He divides these giftings up, ministry abilities. He divides this up. Verse 12, the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. What is with Christ? His body is made up of what? Many members. And they're all different. They all serve a different function. There'll be similarities and there'll be distinct differences. The body is made up of a unit. So is Christ. For we've all been baptized by one spirit into one body. There we share the, the, the life of the spirit, the, the abundant life together, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. We were all given the one spirit to 
to drink. Now, the body is made not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I do not belong to the body, would it not for that reason cease to be part of the body? Rhetorical question. Obviously, the answer is no. And if the ear should say, because I am not the eye, I do not belong to the body, would it not still for that reason cease, or would it for that reason cease to be a part of the body? Rhetorical question, no. If the whole body were an eye, now this is where Josh would probably be better off preaching because he could come up with some really bizarre illustration of the whole body being an eye. But you just have to imagine him up here. <laughs> and I imagine him up here a lot, and it just scares me. And no, uh, uh, no, 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 no. Now the whole body is made up of many different... You, you, the, the eye cannot say to the ear, I don't need you. If the eye does that, it is putting a tourniquet on that part of the body so that it no longer gets the benefit of God's grace working through the ear to benefit the eye. I mean, you know, Paul goes on and, he, and he's, he's talking serious, although it sounds kind of joking. But he says, if the whole body were an ear... Where would the seeing be? Where would the smelling be? You'd, you'd lose all of that. So his, his point, obviously, is down to uh, verse 24. But God has combined the members of the body and has given a greater honor to parts that lack. So there would be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Think about that. So that its parts should have equal concern for each other. So God limits... The working of grace through us so that we will learn to trust and depend on others. God wants to uniquely gift you so that you will provide a channel for something that other people around you are not gifted with. So it's only as we embrace the larger body and we open our lives to one another, we fellowship more freely with one another and allow God to speak through us. Because, Peter says, we have been made stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, it's an interesting word. Manifold, we're not talking about on an automobile, but manifold means multifaceted. I looked that up in the dictionary. <laughs> My high school dropout, what can I say? But <clears throat> Peter says that the grace of God that brings us all divine life in Christ, then is distributed and it's flowing through us, is distributed uniquely throughout the body. So that the hand can do its job. But the feet can take the hand where it needs to be so the hand can do its job. But in order to keep the feet from getting bruised or hurt, the hand puts a shoe on the foot so the foot can take the hand to the place where the hand can do the job. Now, thank God that our physical bodies don't often work the way Christ's body works. All right? Well, I don't. You know, I just don't particularly care for your personality. The truth is, I love you, but only in Jesus. I always get kind of weirded out when somebody says, I love you in Jesus, brother. So, yeah, I think the interpretation of that is you really don't like me at all, but you know, if you say that out loud, that'll be a bad thing. And... But what God wants to do for us 
is appreciate that he is wanting to gift us uniquely. He knew us before we were born. So some aspects of our personality, when they're brought under the rulership of Jesus, we were born with that so that we could be used in a certain way. That's the reason that opposites attract. That's the reason that when you look in many marriages, you see great differences between the men and women. I mean, between Linda and I, which is 43 years for us, there are tremendous differences even now because she will not change. And she has every right not to, and she wants me to quit saying that. But if, if I get mad at you because you somehow offended me, and I just decide I'm just not going to be around you, I'm not going to open up to you, what I've done, in fact, whether I realize it or not, is I've put a tourniquet someplace where I am in the body of Christ, and I've cut off flow to myself. I'm hurting myself. Does that make sense? So I say, oh, God, teach us to let your grace work through us. Now, there are huge varieties of ministry. Certainly, there are those who we've already read, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And then Romans 12 goes on with givers and people who are uniquely equipped to show mercy more than the average person. Gifted by God to do that. Gifted by God to make money and to give, to give generously and liberally, gifted by God to do that. Yes, those are all giftings from God. And there are many, 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 many more. And each one of those categories has a huge number of varieties in it, Paul said. There are lots of varieties of this. There's the gift of prophecy, but within the gift of prophecy, there are dozens of unique ways it can work. I got a buddy that every time he prophesies, it comes out rhyming. But he could not write a poem to save his life. I mean, if salvation depended on poetry, he'd go to hell. But when he starts to prophesy, it always comes out in a rhyme. Because there are a variety of administrations. God works through us uniquely and differently. And what we want to learn to do, what we must always be growing in, is our ability to receive from others as they minister into our lives. Now, though there are many different ways of ministry, service, and gifting. The one thing that we know for sure is that there is one activity that every believer has been called to do. And you can describe it in a lot of different ways. We'll use the term discipleship or make disciples. We could say reproduce the life that's in you into somebody else. We could use the word mentor. Mentor someone who's not quite as far along as you are. We could talk about being spiritual moms and dads. That's in the Bible. It's in the new covenant of that relationship. You don't have to get weird about it, but you can certainly benefit from it. Uh, Matthew tw uh, 28, we don't need to, you don't need to turn there. Matthew 28, Jesus came and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. How? Teach them what I taught you. He said to those men, now you turn around and do for others what I've done for you. What did you just do for them? Spent a lot of time with them, talked about how to implement God's principles and the life of God into their everyday life. And they grew up. They laid a foundation. When we 
put this together and Josh was the one that came up with the title and as we put all this together and Jessica Clark who was leading us this morning in singing did all the amazing incredible uh, 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 graphic design on the on the foundation's workbook our whole point was that the Bible teaches every believer once the life of God has come into you whatever other giftings God puts in you the one thing we all hold in common is make a disciple, make a disciple. Now, you're not making a disciple after yourself. If you try that, the Lord who's really the shepherd of that sheep will talk to you <laughs> out behind the woodshed in love. I want us to look at Hebrews 5. Hebrews chapter 5. It'd be slide 7, I think. I hope I'm not messing you up today. Hebrews chapter 5, beginning of verse 11. Now listen to these words. We have much to say about this. He's talking about the Old Testament shadows. Melchizedek, the tabernacle, the temple, that sort of thing. So we have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, now notice the way he describes what they should be doing. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers. You actually need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk and not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Now, isn't that interesting that the writer equates maturity, moving from infancy, childhood, into maturity, by how do you understand righteousness? Do you know to the deepest fiber of your being that you said here today righteous because you have received the ultimate righteous one as your Lord. If you put your faith in the sacrifice of the sinless Lamb of God, and if you by confession of Lordship has allowed Him to come by His Spirit to live in you, then you're learning about righteousness. You're not thrown about by every wave of condemnation or fear or embarrassment. When you do mess up, instead of running away, you draw near to God, freely taking responsibility. It's my fault. It's not Linda's fault. It's my fault. And almost every time it is, and I'm just practicing right now. But when we do that, we're learning about righteousness and what makes us mature is when we understand where does righteousness come from, what do I have to do in order to enjoy it, and how can I cooperate so that I will actually grow in it so that my applied righteousness because of the offering of Jesus will be worked out in my life as daily righteous activity. That I who lived unrighteously now begin to live more righteously and more righteously and more righteously. I am declared righteous because of Christ's offering, but I am growing in my ability to behave righteously. Does that make sense? So in that path, the, the one thing we've all been called to do is to reproduce. Biblically, we do that by making disciples. If we go all the way back to where we read first in, in Ephesians 4, where it says, and he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Those ministry giftings, their primary call is to equip the rest of the body to do the work 
of reproducing disciples and helping them lay a foundation. If you're not gifted by God to be a good teacher, no problem. Those of us who are gifted, we need to be busy making resources so that you, through your own gifting and your own personality, can turn around for somebody else an hour a week and help them lay a foundation of righteousness in their life. Those who have the ability, the calling, to create the materials to resource from the Word of God ways that through technology, whatever generation you live in, that you can utilize those things, then we're all discipling people. We're all teachers. The writer here says, you should already be teaching. So wait a minute, I don't have a gift of a teacher. Yeah, but what they're talking about here is not this. What we're talking about is sitting over at Kaladi's over a cup of coffee. I said, I said Starbucks in the first service, and people went boo. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm sorry. I, 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 re, I repented during the second service, and I said, Jesus, I'm glad you died for that. Oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but an hour a week, we've, 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 we've worked hard. Several people contributed. We worked, many of you contributed. We worked hard. By the way, the new, the brand new edition with 99.8% of all typos fixed should be here the middle of this week, and we should have 1,000 by next Friday. And a bunch of them are already spoken for. But the point is that, that, that the writer of Hebrews says, you ought to be teaching someone else. But because you're not, I have to go back and give you milk. Now, what's the milk that he's giving them? What makes us righteous in God's eyes? What turns God's anger away from us so they can fully embrace us in love? That's why we put together this resource and are working on others right now. Because if you're not called to be a teacher, then you're gifted in some other way. But every child of God, every child of God can turn to another baby child of God and help them learn the finished work of the cross, the working of grace, ministering to each other. See? So what we have to do, according to a friend of ours, is we have to learn how to count. Now, this, this book, WikiChurch, book we've been recommending that you get a hold of. Yeah, I think you can get them through the, through the office. But Steve Merle, a friend of Linda and I's, acquaintance, I would say, of, of ours, pastors a church in Manila uh, in the last 10 years or so, gone from 2,000 to the latest number is 72,000. And the way they did it was one person at a time. But... What this simple little book describes is the methodology that they use. It's the most simple simple discipleship program or whatever thing I've ever seen. But they base it all on this. And what they say is, we have forgotten how to count. Now, before I tell you what this means, I've got to tell you that I am guilty of doing this for several years in my past ministry. Because this is the way it goes. This is the way Paul listed them out, inspired by the Spirit. Number one, the head of the body gives to some unique leadership and ministry giftings. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. There are others in other lists. Number 12, verse 12, their job, the job of the ministry gifts, leadership gifts in the, in the first one, their job is to equip God's people to do the work of serving or ministry. 
The word serving or ministering in the New Testament is the word diakonos. We say deacon, but diakonos in Greek was table waiter. So ministry gifts are given so that those people equip the rest of God's people to do serving, ministry in whatever area God has gifted them to do. And the one we all have in common is helping someone else lay a foundation in their life, be a good disciple. Number three, if the first two are working correctly, then we all grow up into maturity together in him. Now, let me tell you how I have missed this in the past. I have believed in verse 11, but not realizing it, I immediately went to verse 13. And in all sincerity told people, well, you know, you're just not mature enough yet to minister. Well, how... You you see, we're, we're counting wrong. 11, 13, 12. But that's not the way Paul was inspired to write it. Paul wrote and said there are ministry gifts that will equip you and then you need to get out there and be serving, ministering in some way or another. And the result of you actually doing it is you will grow up as you do it. How many of you knew how to be a really good parent before you had any children? Are there any of you who thought? I read the books. And then the -the on-the-job training showed me that I need to grow up and learn how to do this better. But you learn on the job. You learn on the job. You know, most of those cities in the book of Acts that the Apostle Paul went to, he only stayed in some places just a matter of weeks. And then moved on. Couldn't leave Bibles behind. There weren't any. Couldn't leave CDs, DVDs. There weren't any. Couldn't leave any digital Bible applications. There weren't any. All he could leave behind for those poor people was the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Who Jesus said will guide us into all truth. Whoa, now we've got all this technology and I don't think we're trusting God to work in people's lives by the power of the Spirit. But we ought to be using all this wonderful technology to communicate the message that God wants to live in you and live through you and build a foundation in you of righteousness so that you not only know you're righteous in Jesus, but you're actually growing in more righteous behavior. Not so God will love you, but because you're overwhelmed with how high, how deep, how wide, how long is the love that God has for me. I just can't help but for there to be good works coming out of my life. And you, me, need to be regularly showing someone else what it means to let the power of grace, Christ, in me. How does that work? It's a miracle. And you can help somebody else. As a church, everything we do in the future, we want to be based on this. Just to give you an idea, youth camp this summer, one of the things that Josh and Reed and other leaders have decided is that kids that come to the youth camp are going to be made familiar and acquainted with the Foundations book. And we'll put together relationships based on natural joinings. 
Why? So one young person who's a little further along in the Lord can help disciple another one who's not there yet. He said, wait a minute, how can you trust teenagers to do that? Because we gave them a tool. And some pastor is going to lovingly be caring for them. So that we may all grow up together. See, we don't want to wait until people get mature. Because if you keep waiting, you never become mature. This is on-the-job training. That's the good news. The good news is that the trainer, the teacher, is living inside of us. He's living in us. He's living in us. And we've got some tools. We want to do our job. Would you stand with me, please? If you've never made the decision to let Christ be Lord of your life, there's no better time than right now to do that. There just isn't any better time. So if that's you, just pray along with me. You can say what I say if you want. That's fine. But you can say it yourself. But we would say, Father, I do believe that I am in need of a Savior. I am grateful that you sent your Son to die as a payment for my sin. And so... I confess that I believe He both died and rose from the grave so that I might be free from sin and learn to let Him live in me and through me. And I confess with my mouth now that I no longer want to be the owner of my own life. But I want you to be Lord, to be Master, to be owner of my life. I'm not sure what all that means, but I'm ready to start on this journey. So as much as I know how, I am giving up my life putting it in your hands, starting on this brand new journey with you. Now let's pray together, church. Father, teach us, oh God, teach us, oh God, teach us, oh God, to love and appreciate the other body members around us. Teach us, oh God, that only by opening our lives up to others can we experience a greater manifestation of your grace and your glory. Teach us, love one another, Speak words of love to one another. Encourage one another. Build up one another. And let others do that for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This coming Friday night, Vision Gala, we're going to have Saturday. Two times in a row. Saturday, Saturday, Saturday. And I will be teaching for the next two Tuesdays on the Foundation's book. And then we will be done. So don't miss the next two Tuesdays. We will be done. Now, we're going to be doing it again later on, but we will be done uh, in the next two Tuesdays. All right? Have a great week. And look around you. Somebody needs for you to sow the good news into their life. And if you'll keep your eyes open this week, you'll bump right into them. Join us on this new covenant journey at markdrake.org.